So we're following a series looking at what Christians believe. And this week we've arrived at the topic of the church. Before we go any further, I wonder how we would describe that word. What is church? Perhaps our mind is immediately drawn to services like this one. One that we go to on a Sunday. Church is an event that we attend. Perhaps our mind is drawn to think of the clergy, ministers, pastors, preachers who have entered the church. The church is an institution that has professional representatives. Maybe when we hear the word church, we think of a denomination, a type of church, the Baptist church. The Church of Scotland, the Free Church. Or maybe when we think of the word church, we instantly think of a building. We're currently sat in the church on Lennox Street. We all recognise these different interpretations of the word church, and all four contain helpful elements. But none of them capture the essence of what the church is really all about. Imagine you ask me to describe to you what a marriage is. But in response, all I talked about was the ring, or the marriage certificate, or the wedding service, or the marriage laws as upheld by a court. None of you would think that I'd got anywhere close to describing what marriage is at its core. Of course, at the heart of marriage is something far more profound than the side issues. A marriage is a relationship of trust based on love and commitment. Well, so it is with the church. The church is not defined by services or clergy or denominations or buildings. The church is the people who are in a relationship with God. A relationship of trust based on God's love and commitment towards us through Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of us entering the church through baptism. Baptism is our wedding to God. Publicly we receive his love and make our marriage vows to him. This is how life in the church begins. Church is all about God and his people and the loving relationship between them. Everything else is extra, a sideline, not the real thing. And it's important that we get this definition right at the beginning. Otherwise, nothing else that we're going to share together is going to make any sense. Now, the Bible uses many different images and metaphors to describe the church. And we're going to use our time this morning to explore just five of them. And hopefully by the end of this time, we'll have a sense of what a wonderful thing the church is and have grown to love it more for ourselves. So first and foremost, the Bible describes the church as the people of God. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God says the Lord. 
I really cannot stress this enough. The church is the people. The Church of Scotland are about to close two church buildings on Isla. But they're not going to close the church in Portna Haven and Kilmeny. It is still there as long as there are believing Christians in those villages. Indeed, as Christians, we don't even get the choice as to whether we enter the church or not. Because by believing in Jesus, we become one of God's people. And by definition, we are part of the church today. The Greek word used for church in the New Testament is the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means assembly or gathering of people. A gathering of people defined by their relationship with God. And reading the Bible, we soon discover that God has always wanted to be in close relationship with the people that he has made. In the early chapters of Genesis, we find him walking together with Adam and Eve through the Garden of Eden in the cool of the evening. We read a bit further and we find God calling a people group to himself. The family of Abraham who would be his people on earth through whom he would bless the whole world. And from that family eventually came Jesus who through his death and resurrection opened up membership of God's people to those from every corner of the globe. Now all the barriers have been knocked down. Age, race, class, gender, wealth, educational background, they all count for nothing. All human beings can be included. God has made the way for a diverse people united by his love. So the 30 of us or so that are in church this morning are part of God's people. But also meeting today will be over 2.4 billion others. A third of the world's population. We can sometimes get a bit dispirited when we think of the tough time that the church is going through in the West. But that is not the big picture. Even today, tens of thousands of people around the world will come to faith in Jesus. Take these figures, for example. In 1900, there were 10 million Christians in Africa. In 2021, there were 685 million. By 2025, it is forecasted that there will be 760 million. God's church is growing. As he works his purpose out, God's people are exploding in number. And may that be an encouragement to us all. Now going back to that word ecclesia for a moment, the Bible describes gatherings or assemblies of God's people in different sizes. Sometimes God's people meet in large celebrations, such as festival times. More often God's people meet as local congregations where friendships are made and skills are honed and people are cared for. In addition to that, God's people also congregate in small cell groups for prayer and Bible study, where just a few believers gather, the deepest levels of support and accountability are given. All of these are church. So do not worry that the churches are smaller on Isla than on the mainland. 
The church is the people of God. It can be found wherever God's people come together in his name. The relationship with God is what matters. A second way that the Bible describes the church is as the family of God. The Bible teaches us that when we receive Jesus into our lives, we become children of God. John 1:12 says, "To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." This then is what unites all Christians. God is the one father of us all. Jesus is the one savior of us all, and the Holy Spirit is the one same spirit that lives within us all. We all belong to the same family. Now we know from our experience of human families that living together can sometimes be a bit tricky. Brothers and sisters squabble, they fall out, they don't see each other for long periods of time. Yet through all that, they do remain brothers and sisters. Nothing can end or deny the relationship. It is formed at the deepest level of their being. And so too it is with the church. The church is and always will be one, even though on the surface it often feels divided. This, though, must never become an excuse for not putting in the work that all families need to put in. Jesus himself urged all his followers never to settle for disunity. Indeed, just before he died, in one of his final prayers to his father, Jesus prayed that all his people may be one, just as he and his father are one. As the family of God, then, we must always strive for reconciliation with our brothers and sisters when it is required. Because nothing upsets God more or puts people outside of the church more than division. Now that's not to say that truth isn't important. Christians should try and defend God's truth when they feel it's in danger of being eroded. But they must make their stand in love. When writing about church unity in the Middle Ages, a man called Rupertus Maldinius famously said, On the necessary points, unity. On the questionable points, liberty. In everything, love. Christians need to work at being family. And unity is only ever found by ordinary believers like you and I, praying together, worshipping together, working alongside one another. In 1 John 4 it says this, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not, who they have seen, cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. So this sense of being family implies work at our relationships. But there are some huge benefits to this work. There is another Greek word in the New Testament that becomes important here. It's the word koinonia, which is often translated fellowship. Koinonia literally means having in common or sharing. 
It's often used to describe the marriage relationship, the most intimate of relationships between human beings. And truly this word fellowship speaks of a level of friendship that I personally have never experienced outside of the church. At my last church in Bromley, I became significantly unwell. I was off work for nine months across two periods. And during that time, the church could have made demands. They could have expected me to earn my salary, but they didn't. Instead, they showed me the most incredible love. They gave me as much time as I needed. They brought meals around. They got support for Emily. Some gave money to help us out. Others kept in touch by the phone. It's through the church that I found the most loving help and support anywhere in my life. And in that short reading that we had from Acts 2, we saw that in microcosm. The church came together and shared everything they had to make sure that no one missed out. In a time of persecution, they ate together, they prayed together, they learned together, they lived their life together. They were always there for one another. In Hebrews 10, this command is given to the church. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's my experience that when people become Christians, if they do not pretty quickly start meeting with other members of their family, it's very hard for their faith to stay alive. I've heard it described like a coal fire. If you take a glowing coal out of the fire, it soon becomes black and useless for heating the room. Put it back in the fire and it soon glows brightly again. Such is the power of the Christian family in keeping each other going and maintaining the faith through tough times. A third way that the Bible describes the church is as the body of Christ. Do you remember the account of Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road in Acts 9? We thought about it a couple of weeks ago. Saul was a Jewish zealot. He, he was traveling the land to imprison Christians and worse. Well, as he traveled one day to persecute a few more of God's people, the risen Lord Jesus turned up and had a very pertinent question for him. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul had not met Jesus. So he soon came to understand that in persecuting Christians, he was actually persecuting Jesus himself. And from that encounter on the Damascus Road, Saul became a Christian, he became Paul, and as Paul, he went on to write about the natural progression of this discovery. The church is the body of Christ in the world. As Christians, we are to come together and do the things that Christ himself would be doing were he walking our streets today. There's an old hymn 
that captures this really well. He has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no voice but our voice to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to lead them to his side. Now when we think of a body, we think of a unit. Many different parts working together to achieve the same ends. A human body needs hands and feet and eyes and ears and heart and lungs and brain, etc. Well, Paul uses this as an illustration to talk about the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, he writes this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And what this means is that every single one of us sitting here today is vital in this church. Indeed, on the local level, God has deliberately brought each and every one of us to Isla for this moment to achieve his good purposes. You are wanted. Speaking of the church as a body tells us that no one is more important than anyone else. No one is inferior. If one member of the church suffers, so do all the others with them. If one member rejoices, we all join in the rejoicing. It also tells us that everybody's talents are to be appreciated and supported. Some of us can cook. Some of us can wire sockets. Some of us can remember people's names. Some can play musical instruments. Some can take a service. Some can clean a toilet really well. All those roles are vital. And all the people concerned who have those gifts are to be encouraged. And it's only when we all come together and work together that we can begin to take on the role that Jesus has for us in the world, which is to perform works of love and justice and peace, to announce his kingdom, to declare the cross with boldness and compassion. This is what Jesus would be doing today. This is what he wants his body to do in his place. And we cannot achieve this on our own. We need to work together. And when we do, we will see God do great things. A fourth way that the Bible describes the church is as a holy temple. Now, I've tried really hard to labour the point this morning that the church is the people, not the building. The only building spoken about in the New Testament is a building made of people. Paul says that Christians are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. These are some words from Ephesians 2. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the people went to in order to meet with God. It was the place where God's presence could be truly encountered. Of course, the Bible affirms that God is everywhere, but he had chosen to make himself especially known in the temple. Now, let's think about that word presence for a moment. If you love someone, what you want more than anything else is to be in their presence. When I'm away from Emily, an email is good. An attached photo with the email is great. A phone call, fantastic. But what I really long for is her presence. To be fully with her, intimately in her company. And it's this sense of presence that God promised in the temple. But after Pentecost, God came to live inside all his people by the Holy Spirit. So in a very real way, the church is now the temple of God on earth. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. When Christians come together and worship and focus on God through prayer and Bible study, God makes his presence felt. And we can really take this a long way. Where is the one place on earth that a seeker is guaranteed to meet with God? Guaranteed. They might meet God up a mountain or looking at a sunrise. They might meet God while reading a book about faith. But they are guaranteed to meet with God if they spend time deliberately in the worshipping community of his people. Because that is where God's spirit is present today. And this is a great privilege. And it's a great responsibility for the church on earth today. We are God's temple. And therefore our life as a church together is an essential part of witness for God to the world. People out there need us to be God's temple on earth. So we thought about the church as the people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is one final image from the Bible that I'd like to mention. And this is perhaps the most beautiful of them all. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. When the Bible describes the relationship between God and human beings, it often uses the analogy of the closest possible human relationship, the love of husband and wife. The great theologian Augustine wrote, God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. In the Old Testament, it speaks of God being a husband to Israel. In the New Testament, Paul speaks of Christ being a husband to the church and calls on all human husbands to follow his example. This is Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. This is a picture of the holy, radiant church that God intends for all of us. And one day, God's work will be complete. Right at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, where it's describing the return of Jesus. It describes it like a wedding day. The writer John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now that image may seem a long way off at a moment. We look at the church as we know it and we see that in places it's small and it's weak and it's broken. But one day it will be truly beautiful. This is the promise. This is the future for us all. This is our hope. And our response to this great wedding announcement is to do what we can to get ourselves ready. To love God as he has loved us. To try and live a holy life, keeping ourselves for him. And of course, it's living within the church that will help us to do that. It's in the church that we're transformed to be more like Jesus. So to wrap up, I guess we all at times get frustrated with the church. We wish it was better than it is. We wish that we were better than we are. But please don't give up. Please don't get down. Please realize just how much God loves his church. The church is the object of his deepest affection. We are his people. We are his family. We are his body. We are his temple. We are his bride. God loves the church. May we learn to love it in the same way. And may God be glorified in our life together as we, his people, worship him here on Isla in 2023.